off this party, people! Michael is off being deplorable this weekend. I believe he's being deplorable in Cleveland and Nashville. So he won't be with us today. So Kung Fu Rick and I have put together some of the best interviews we've done with the most interesting people. I think they're going to like it. I really think they're going to like it. And I don't just say that because I'm the guy putting it together. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we do need to say one of them is with one of my personal favorites, which is Nick Searcy. And he has a movie out there called Gosnell. We talk a little bit about it in the vid- in the audio, excuse me. And basically, y'all need to know that that is available for download now. And I strongly suggest you go see it. Super important movie, and we should be giving our support to the guys on our side when they put a creative project out there. This is true. We're not very good at doing that, and we need to fix that. We definitely need to fix that. But anyway, so today you're going to hear our interviews with Nick Searcy, Michael Knowles, and Kurt Schlichter. Hope you enjoy. promised you guys we got uh, we got nick searcy with us now before i even get to talking with the man uh an amazing go to this dude's uh wikipedia go to this dude's imdb page we're talking days of thunder prince of tides uh holy castaway which i just saw recently which uh, amazing performance in that uh the ugly truth the last song moneyball the shape of water three billboards outside ebbing this dude uh is nick searcy he is a he's an actor he's a director he's a filmmaker he's a provocateur on twitter <laughs> nick thanks for being here man i'm also a really bad golfer you forgot that <laughs> all right <laughs> oh, hey. a, a really bad golfer fantastic <laughs> Nice to, nice to be with you, Michael. Okay, now I got so much stuff. I, I don't even know where to ask, so we're gonna we're gonna go with the the big one here. Just uh, relax. Don't be nervous. I know how excited you must be to speak to me, but you know it's I, normal. <laughs> People feel like this all the time. Don't just relax. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try. <laughs> I want I want to talk about. You've directed two films. Uh, you, you directed uh, a, a piece in 95, which I'm guessing you did that on film, right? That was like uh, an old school film camera, right? <laughs> yes, we shot that on 35 millimeter film back before the digital age. Yeah. Okay, so that's, that's stress. That's a high level stress. Now, uh, you've got a new film coming out, Gosnell. You, and I guess you're, you're all finished up on that. You, you, you wrapped a couple years ago, but now you've locked in a, a distribution deal. How, what was your experience like on that one? That's, that's, that's a bit bigger, yeah? Yeah, it was a little bigger budget for me. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a great experience. Just I love directing. I love the, the thrill of trying to make a movie that way. It's, uh, it's kind of like being in a war. <laughs> you have yeah. to, you know, I mean, not to denigrate soldiers, but, I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, you're, you're, it's a battle every day to get the thing done. And... Uh, you know, I'm I'm very excited that it's finally coming out. There was a while there when I thought that it just might never surface because uh, it's a very controversial subject, and I think the producers had some difficulty getting a uh, company to release it. Well, it, in 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 case you don't know, uh, Gosnell, a big uh, abortion doctor, right in Philly. Yeah. Uh, well, basically, he was he was a murderer. He just yeah. 
you know, the fact that he happened to be an abortion doctor was was just the way he went about things. I mean, he he was basically performing a lot of illegal abortions, and he was he was he was killing babies after they'd already been born. So that's what he was convicted of. He was convicted of murder. Wow! And, so, and this is like one of the the biggest uh, like underreported uh, crime sprees. Because I I found out about this like maybe uh, maybe two three years ago I'd never even heard of the guy, so yeah yeah my, my, here's what I as as a filmmaker just uh, and I apologize like is it I don't know how 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 do you make this just like instead of just being like sad and maudlin is it is it a is it a thriller are we on the side of the cops and we're trying to track this guy down or is it like uh inside the mind of a how did how did you know no, no. it's a it's a thriller it's it's definitely a crime drama it's all about how they caught him and how they prosecuted him that's that's basically what it is because uh, i just thought that any other way of going about it would just be too maudlin and would make the movie unwatchable yeah but, you know i wanted the story to get out there but i did also want it to be something that people could could actually sit through without uh losing their lunch you know yeah, so, that's that's a tough one. I mean, just as a subject matter. Now, did the did the producers like reach out to you? Or, like, it, it's tough, man. I, I don't I don't know. Uh, granted, you've done a you've done a boatload of films. I, I just named a handful, and you've been acting f- for a very long time. And 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 most talented people eventually want to direct. But like, what made you say yes to this project? Well, when they first contacted me, you know, I was a friend of theirs and they just said do you know anybody might be interested in directing this film and I gave them a couple of names and those names didn't pan out and they came back to me and I said well you know I did direct a film a few years ago I might do it depending on the script you know and I sent them a copy of the movie that I directed and they they asked me to uh, come on board and yeah I mean after after I read the script after I read this I was kind of tentative about it until I read the script. And when I read the script, I thought, okay, this is, this is a story that needs to be told. And it's, it's uh, one of those rare instances where you can kind of participate in something that you actually think might be important, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and how are, I'm sure you, have you, have you screened this uh, for, for critics, for critics and uh, what's, what's the feedback been? You know, uh, it's been screened for a lot of different groups. The feedback has been very positive. They haven't, Screened it for critics. I, I know what the critics are going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's I, I don't. I, I'm not going to pay any attention to that. But uh, it's been very well received by the audiences that have watched it. So. That's fantastic. Now, was there was there like a breakout person for you? Now I know you have to be somewhat political because you got you got a big cast. You got to be nice to everybody. But it, is there a performance in the film that just stands out where you're like, wow, I didn't know, I didn't know this guy or this girl just had it had it in them. I I would say well I would say both in the case of Dean Kane, who delivers a a really gritty down to earth performance that I, I haven't seen him do anything like this before, and he's really terrific in it. And Sarah Jane Morris, who's basically the lead in the film, she's the lead prosecutor. She really it's a it's a brave, touching, wonderful performance from her, and. A lot of the, I mean, almost all the, I have like six notes from different actresses in the movie who basically wrote me saying, thank you for giving me my first role. <laughs> so oh, wow. 
there's a lot of first-time actresses in this movie, and they all are pretty amazing. And a lot of that, of course, is due to me because I'm such a genius. But well, I tell you, know. you I, I know you're I know you're joking around, but like <laughs> that is a huge part of it. Uh, you know, you don't you don't want an adversarial role with your cast. They got to feel comfortable. They got to feel. You kind of have to shepherd them on this journey, but you got to get what you want out of it. I don't. I'd love to direct as well someday, but it's like such a daunting uh, task. Like, what was what was the biggest challenge? Really, time, the budget, and the the amount of time that we had to spend that that was the biggest challenge because you know we we shot the movie in twenty one days, and really it should have been thirty. Yeah, but, um, that's, that's like a Clint Eastwood schedule right there. Yeah, it, it really is. It's like a TV movie schedule. But, you know, back back in the 80s when they made TV movies. You know? They should um, bring those back. Yeah, yeah, they should. I guess they can't, can't figure out how to make that profitable anymore. But, um, yeah, I mean, that that was really the biggest challenge is, you know, you got to get so much done in a day. And, yeah. Uh, but thankfully I had a great crew. I had a great DP, Mark Peterson who did a fantastic job, and, you know, it, it really, it came together beautifully. I mean, it's a, it's a, I'm very proud of it. It's a nice... I, I cannot wait to see it. I cannot yeah. wait to see it. Now, now I want to get to you a little bit as, as an actor. Uh, some of the directors that you've worked with, insane, insane. Uh, Barbara Streisand, uh, Tony Scott, Robert Zemeckis, uh, holy smoke, Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, well, of those that you mentioned, only Barbara Streisand is actually insane. But <laughs> what was she to work like? You guys, oh, you were you were a prince of tides. You were yeah, the, yeah. Was, well, was it was a nice? long. It was a, no, no. She's perfectly nice. I was just kidding. It was a long time ago, and uh, I was only there for one day. But um, in the movie, I, I basically have one scene where I'm at a party and I ask Nick Nolte to dance with me. Yeah, and um, Barbara Streisand. When I auditioned for the movie, I I kind of came in like leather gear, like a lot of the other people that were auditioning for it were kind of preppy and nicely dressed, and I had on a leather cap, yeah. a tank top, and a chain and stuff. And she kind of didn't get it when I did my audition. She said, <laughs> she looked at me and she said, "You know, I might want to use you for one of the rapists." And uh, I think the story goes that she showed the tapes of uh, the auditions to Nick Nolte, and Nick Nolte said, you should get the leather guy. <laughs> so. Nolte, now, now was he was he nuts uh, on that that movie? I had a great time with him. You know, I, it was, the, the people that were in the scene with me were, were Nick Nolte and George Carlin. Oh, so, my Lord. Yeah, it was great. It was just... I did, uh, I was, I was a... Uh, I was a, a what you call an extra. Uh, came very very close to a speaking part uh, in this movie called Teachers with Nick Nolte, yeah. and he he must have been going through something uh, back then. <laughs> yeah, because wow, he he was uh, pajama pants and robe, and he he was out there. Old Nick was out there. You know who does a great <laughs> Nick? Kevin James does the best Nick Nolte impression ever oh, yeah. in the history of ever. Yeah. Okay. So. So, um, holy smoke, I just, uh, I saw Castaway in the movie theater, and, and I really didn't, did not like it at all, didn't like it at all. I just watched it again a couple weeks ago, and like had an epiphany, I'm 
like, wow, I totally missed this movie. Like, I, I got it wrong. Uh, and, and I'm watching it, and then y- you show up in right. it. And, dude, I want to tell you what, and I, I tweeted about it. Like, that was a fantastic performance. Oh well, I appreciate that. I'm, I mean, it's it's a very it's a very rare quality. I want to I want to keep blowing smoke here just for a little bit longer, <laughs> but it's like the the everyman to me is is the hardest thing for an actor to do. Like, uh, and Robert Duvall would back me up on this. It's it's easy to play. Oh, I'm paralyzed. I can only move my head. Oh, I'm blind. Who's talking? You know, th- there's just like like little tricks you can get away with, but dude. Uh, that was a fantastic performance in Castaway. Well, you're very sweet. That's that. Uh, I appreciate that. It, it, it was it was great fun, and of course, an honor to work with Zemeckis and Hanks. Um, and you know that came about. I think partially, I had worked with Hanks a little bit on From the Earth to the Moon. He produced that, and I met yeah. him when I was when I was working on that show. Oh, uh, I had it flipped. I had it flipped. I thought you met Hanks on on Castaway, and then you did. Uh, you were you were Deke Slayton, yeah. Yeah, no, that came first. That that uh, and from the Earth to the Moon was really. I I was on that show for like twelve episodes, and I met I met everybody in Hollywood. I think <laughs> it was, it, was uh, it, it it. I met Hanks, and then I met Graham Yost, and then wow. after for fifteen years after I did. Did that? I was writing Graham Yost going. I thought you liked me. I thought we were friends. <laughs> what you're doing all this stuff and you never cast me. And then finally, he he told me he just did, he gave me justified just to shut me up. Oh man, <laughs> uh, I see. I haven't seen I haven't seen Justified. I gotta I gotta get into that. I'm a huge uh, Timothy uh, Oliphant uh, fan. He was uh, uh, amazing. What was the series he did on HBO? Deadwood. Yeah. He's all right. <laughs> he doesn't suck. He's got that. He's got that. He's got that. I I can barely con- contain my rage thing down. I've never seen anybody do that. Just like he's just so angry, and it's just simmering. It's fantastic. Yeah, we had a we had a great time on that show. He uh, most of my stuff oh, yeah. on the show. You'll see when you watch it. I mean, ninety percent of what I do on that show is talk to him. So, okay. Um. But yeah, we had a great time. Now, I, I just want to get this out there. You, you were also uh, on, you were a series regular on Rodney with uh, my old friend, uh, Rodney Carrington. And I, yeah. had, I, had, I had no idea. Oh, my God. I've, I've been in Hollywood for a while. I've been uh, fortunate enough. I've written on a few shows, blah, 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 blah. But, like, before any of that happened, <laughs> I, I had met Rodney, and I'd never seen anything like it. I had never seen anything like it. I was, we were working at a comedy club in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, and and he just there was like twenty five people on the first night. He was so funny. I like my women like I like my chicken, just a little bit of fat on the end. He's doing right. his little songs. He's just a goofball. Right. Yeah. He's just this oaky goofball, lovable idiot. And just to watch the audience just grow and grow and grow until by Friday night it was just standing room only. It was hilarious. So I oh, moved out to great. L.A. Oh, it's completely amazing. I go, so I moved out to Hollywood, and then I'm I'm doing stand up at like the uh, the the improv in like uh, in Phoenix or something. And Rodney's doing like a theater. He comes out to see. He ends his show, comes over to see my show, and he's like, "Do you ever move out to L.A.? They keep trying to convince me to go." Now, if you don't know Rodney, that's spot on. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> it is. They keep 
They keep trying to get me to come out there, and I'm like, I went to the head of ABC, and I'm like, what do you pay John Ritter? When you want to pay me what you pay John Ritter, then I'll do the dang show. And he was completely (laughs) for real, and it worked. It was hilarious. Yeah, we did two seasons, and, uh, you know, when I I met Rodney, I I just auditioned for it and met him, and we did the pilot, and we just hit it off. We were really good friends right from the beginning, and... I'd never really heard of Rodney before. You know, I'd been in L.A. all this time, and yeah. I, I didn't know that he was such a big comedian out in the middle of the country. And, and after we got done, I was flying back to North Carolina, and he said, why don't you just come with me and you stop and uh, stop? I think we went to, I can't remember exactly, St. Louis. We went to St. Louis on his private jet to see his show. Yeah. And, like, we go in, and there's 5,000 people there. And they know every word to every song. And I was like, oh, my God, who is this man? <laughs> exactly. See, here's the deal, Nick. You were living in a bubble. Yeah. And Rodney was out there in the middle of America. He's the Donald Trump of stand-ups. I know. He, and he's still killing it. I mean, I, talked to, I just talked to him last week. He's, he works every weekend and goes back home. And he says, man, I'm done with that L.A. stuff. I don't, I'm not ever coming out there ever again. <laughs> he, is, he is a genius. He, yeah. He, and oddly enough, you were you're a fantastic golfer. Rodney uh, taught me to golf. Yeah, I, I never golfed, and he's always complaining about his wife. I, 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 the first day I met him, I tell you what, man, uh, my wife just spends all my money. She just spends all my money. He didn't have a car. This is before he had, he was huge. He right. didn't have a car. He's like, can you take me to the mall? Can you take me to the mall? It's white hat season. It's white hat, <laughs> and I'm like. I take him to the mall, and the guy blows 300 bucks on a white cowboy hat. I'm like, yeah, your wife's the problem. Your wife yeah. is the problem. Yeah, yeah. No, Rodney's a character for sure. Hilarious. And uh, the other thing I directed was a music video for Rodney. So, <laughs> Are you kidding me? No, I did a music video for his song, uh, If I'm the Only One. And he plays it now at all his concerts. He plays it in the pre-show. That's fantastic, man. Now, but before I let you go, like, and this is fantastic because, and, and it gives me hope. As a, like, I'm on Twitter. I'm doing this Loftus party thing and trying to maintain a career in Hollywood, and and I see your tweets, and I'm like, okay, here's 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 because, dude, I always hold back. I right. always hold back. I'm pumping the brakes nine times out of ten because I'm like, eh. I don't, but like you let it rip, dude. Yeah, you're probably smart. You probably should. Keep <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just, I, you know, at a, at a certain point, I, I think I just got to the point where it's like, okay, I, I'm not going to put up with this. I don't care. I'm going to be myself and let the chips fall where they may. And if somebody doesn't want to work with me because of my politics, then I probably wouldn't enjoy the experience anyway. So the hell with it you know but has it has it gotten in the way ever have you like been on the set and someone says something and you bite your tongue has it ever been because like with me like i I was writing on uh the old george lopez show the sitcom and i had a producer Uh, a buddy of mine said something about bush like in support of bush and, and this woman was like uh i can't believe we've got republicans on the staff and me yeah got really quiet really quick you know yeah, I know. Well, you know what? I don't. Everybody knows what my politics are, and I don't. I don't talk politics on the set. I mean, if somebody brings it up, I just go, 
you know, that's not something I'm willing to discuss here. I don't think it's the proper forum, unless you'd like to talk about Jesus, too. (laughs) (laughs) They sort of leave me alone after that. But, yeah, I I just, uh, it's just a policy. You know, what I do on Twitter and, you know, when I speak on the radio or whatever I do, that's that's one thing. But I don't like the people that that talk politics at work. I think it's rude. I, I think it's rude because... There's a power imbalance there, and there's definitely people on the crew that are not going to speak up if a, if one of the stars starts going on and on about how what a racist Trump is or how awful Republicans are, yeah. you know, because a lot of the, the crew's mixed. The crew isn't 100% Democrat, but they can't, you know, they, it's not fair. If they open their mouths, they'll get fired. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. So I just I just don't do that. Okay, well, um, before I let you go, one more question. was: uh, Did you ever turn down a part or lose out a part and just look back and go, man, I messed up. I wish I could have a do-over on that. Like famously, like Tom Selleck was supposed to be Indiana Jones. Uh, James Caan turned down the lead in Kramer versus Kramer. Ha, ha, do, you have a, do you have one of those famous, like the, the part that got away stories? <laughs> and no, I, I don't really. I... I think I must have accepted every part that somebody offered me. (laughs) That's fantastic. I just went, okay, how much? You know, I might have, I might have turned a few things down because I didn't think there was enough money or it was too far to travel or it conflicted with something, but I never did turn down a role just because I didn't like it. You know? Well, Hey, that's cool. Uh, I am digging it. So, so what's next? Are you gonna Are you gonna go back to directing? You, you are you acting? What's What's next? Well, I'm I'm still acting uh, once in a while, and I, I have a couple of projects that I'm developing. Um, one about one's a wrestling script, and one is a script about gospel quartet music in the '60s, which, as you might imagine, is a really hot topic right now. That's uh, the one that's gonna sell. <laughs> that's the one that's gonna sell. I'll tell you right now. Right. But I, no, I'm, I, I do hope to direct some more. I've kind of, I've gotten to that age where most of the parts people offer me are kind of boring. They're the same things that I've already done. And it's like, you know, the old guys don't get, the old guys don't get to do that much unless you're Robert Duvall. Well, so. dude, uh, you, you are, you are killing it. You're crushing it. Don't change anything of uh, a, a fine, fine actor, a great director. Everybody, you need to go out and, and see Gosnell. Uh, on October 12th. Absolutely. So, that that first weekend is key. Everybody go on opening day. Yeah, you got to you got to make that algorithm happen. Let's right. make that let's beat the machine. Love Nick, it. thank you so much for being on the show, dude. Uh have a good one. I'll let you get back to golf. I and I'd, I'd love to talk to you in the future, brother. guys uh, I met I met Michael uh, a few weeks ago he's an awesome dude he's a fun guy he's got a, a, an incredibly successful show over at the Daily Wire here is Michael Knowles make some kind of signal hearken to the voice you know I think we've figured out that AT&T is a little less notorious of us than big technology companies so Skype is killing us all of the online companies are killing us but AT&T will let us speak. Hallelujah, hallelujah.
I I rejoice. I I totally rejoice. I remember I remember an old in the olden days when Skype was wonderful. When it was a magical, mystical place, and then and then Bill Gates and the crew took over, and it's been downhill ever since. It's been horrible right. ever since. But now we're communicating, <laughs> so that's great. Uh, in our in our first attempt, we were talking about we did this event, and I feel bad because I feel like I should give them a plug. You and I were on a panel during the uh, at, down at the Melrose Improv uh, for that. It was during the the, the whole Brent Kavanaugh thing. I had done a little bit of stand-up. I was feeling my oats and, and, and professing my love for this president. But then during the panel thing, I thought I'd, I'd, I'd ease back. I'm like, maybe I've gone too far. Maybe I went too fast. And then you just came out and started throwing haymakers, dude. It, it was awesome. <laughs> you know what I think it is? I think it's because when you go do these things, they'll buy you a free drink. So I had at least one martini course in for my day. And I was so frustrated by that outrageous, Brett Kavanaugh's controversy. These women, now at least one of them is being criminally investigated, I think two of them are, for making false claims, uh, trying to derail this guy who's the most guilt-toast, upstanding federal judge you could possibly think of. And it was, it was very funny because I think the audience, the majority of the audience probably wasn't with us. But this gets to my entire theory on the culture wars, which is that uh, we should... Uh, if there is, as some commentators have suggested, a cold civil war or a cold cultural war, our strategy should not be to be kumbaya and to uh, be conciliatory. It should be we win, they lose. The left is always aggressive in the culture war, the right should be aggressive too. And I think now, for the first time, certainly in my lifetime, we're actually winning. Well, I I, I, I wish that were the case. I, th- I In terms of the culture war, I still think we're getting our uh, our butts handed to us. I've got uh, I've got I've got a shocking update that I, that I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I've been out in Hollywood doing my thing, and at the end of January I've got some shocking shocking updates. I just uh, I don't like I don't like the nu- the numbers of it in terms of you can go and watch Samantha B rail on the president every night. You can watch Stephen Colbert rail on the president every night and. And Trevor Noah and and Jim Jeffries and the list goes on and on and on and on. Now, where is this is the question I ask all the time on the podcast? Where is where is the answer show to that? Where can people go to to hear j- jokes about the left? If it's not if you're not subscribing to a service, where can you go? Where where would that's, you go well, if you weren't? That's exactly the issue. I mean, now I remember a little while ago that magazine covered all the late night comedians, and they were all 100% of left wing. Why is that? Because the gatekeepers, you know this just as well as anybody, the gatekeepers in Hollywood are not going to give a major late night show to a conservative. They're, they're all at the same political club. And so, luckily, the new media have offered some outlets. I mean, there are places, obviously, we're, we're on a new media platform right now. And so that has given conservatives a voice. It's why conservatives totally own the Internet and do so well there. It's because it's the Wild West, or at least it was until recently. And this is why the censorship from big technology, which is not just their free voices, but now they're censoring and banning mainstream conservatives. I had my Twitter taken away indefinitely because I told a lame dad joke about the election. I said Republicans vote on Tuesday, Democrats vote on Wednesday, and they banned me. They took me off of Twitter. And then, ironically, 
Democrats took my advice and they voted Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and we had a recount. <laughs> uh, this, is a, this is a major threat. You know, if, if we don't get a handle on this uh, censorship issue, then even this one place that we've managed to find in the culture is going to be taken away from us. That's that's my concern as well. Uh, my, my, I've not been banned yet from Twitter. Uh, I've not been banned yet from Facebook. However, that's that's why I started theloftestparty.com. You just have to have some kind of toehold in the actual Internet. Now, here, here's what I want to know. Uh, how did you get in with, how, how did you become part of the, uh, the crew over at the Daily Wire? The best advice I can possibly give if you want to get a political podcast at the Daily Wire is don't write a book. I spent my entire life researching a book that had no words in it or reason to vote for Democrats, a comprehensive guide. And uh, as a result of that, we launched my show because that book, which truly of all of the stunts I've ever pulled, I thought that one would be just a little joke to irritate my Democrat friends. And it became the number one best-selling book in the world for about a week and a half. <laughs> and then the president—that's outrageous! Oh, it was insane. And you know, because the president spends probably a third of his day irritating his opponents on Twitter, he decided to endorse it as a great book for everyone who told it. And then it jumps back up again. Uh, so he did that. But you know, that, really, the way that I got it all the Daily Wire is because conservatives in Hollywood—you know this well are uh, a, a beleaguered group. You know, they are uh, constantly under siege. So we all kind of know each other and we'll hang out together. And so I, I knew those guys, Jeremy Boring, Dan, uh, Andrew Flavin, through those kinds of circles. And uh, so the, the Daily Wire started three years ago. And it's totally exploded. And I think the reason it's exploded is, is just simple supply and demand, as you said at the beginning. There are all of these outlets for the left, but the, the right has, has not had those opportunities. So if you give them and, and some commentary, humor, some whatever, some news, uh, they're going to jump right onto it. I, I think uh, we've got to thank the left in a sort of backwards way for setting the stage uh, for conservatives to have success on the internet. Yeah, I, I think so too, but it, it almost seems like, and maybe, maybe this speaks more to me being a pessimist, but it seems like they just keep picking people off one at a time. Like, I, I'm no huge Alex Jones fan, but he's he's <laughs> gone. He's been non-person. And I was reading a, a Jordan Peterson tweet. I guess uh, Patreon kicked off uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, and now, uh, like, Gavin McGinnis has been declared like an enemy of the people by the FBI. <laughs> It's unbelievable, because I knew that this would happen when they banned Alex Jones. Some conservatives said, well, he's just a shirtless vitamin salesman who thinks the clubs are gay. You know, who cares that they knocked him off? And I said, it's not about Alex Jones. Alex Jones is a test run. He's a trial balloon to kick off all of the rest of us. You kick off Alex, okay, you say he's really crazy. Then you kick off Gavin McGinnis. Well, Gavin McGinnis, I mean, he's been around a long time, found advice. He's a comedian, so he's getting in trouble for telling jokes. Uh, isn't that what comedians do? Who's yeah. next? I mean, next is obviously all of the rest of us. And I think you, you've got it harder even than we do. I mean, we do, we do political commentary, and uh, so we, we're, we're always from haymakers. But for uh, consumers, comedians, I mean, there, there simply are not that many. And uh, your set at the improv totally killed me. So funny. And I think the audience was shocked because they haven't heard that. They haven't heard 
uh, right-wing comedians before. They, I don't even think they knew that they existed. And I, it just, when, when it's such a small group, it's so much easier for the left to just go in, target, and silence us. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm doing this new thing now. I, I, I got a, I was down at the Comedy and Magic Club at Hermosa Beach uh, recently, and I've got this new way of... Pl- I talk about the political uh, correctness and how Europe has gone crazy. And I'm making fun of uh, the English because they're going to ban the word uh, brainstorm and they're outlawing knives and, and all this. And everybody's on board. 100% of the audience is on board. And then I go, and now with America, and that's why I like Trump. And boy, it's just you can just watch them have meltdowns. It's fantastic. <laughs> and they're like, they're, they're conflicted. They're like, I like this guy, but I'm not supposed to like this guy, but I like this guy. It's it's fantastic. Like he's, he's won me over, and now there's this entire uh, movement to go back and whatever any comedian has ever told a joke about, even if it was ten years ago, to go back and if it's violating the spirit of the times, uh, make some persona non grata. We don't have a Kevin Hart at the Oscars. It's not as though Kevin Hart is some right wing rock ribbed conservative. Even he was taken down by it. It's really evident that if you marry yourself to the spirit of the age, you'll find yourself a widow in the next. But where does that stop? I mean, now that it's even affecting left-wing comedians, does that give the rest of us hope? Well, I, I think it does. As they're going to have to admit, they're going too far. Like Trevor Noah, Trevor Noah has to be breathing a huge sigh of relief. Because I remember, like a, a week after he got the gig, and 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 Trevor, I I, I know Trevor, and uh, you know he's he's a, he's a, he's a good guy, but he had some he was throwing out some kind of it, he had some jokes about uh, the Jewish community that were uh, terrifying. But like if those if those came out now, he he loses everything. He's back to doing stand up in Soweto. That's right. <laughs> that. That, uh, you know, you look at him and you think, well, if they're going to eat their own, you know, this is uh, this is a pretty strange state of affairs. But I, I really wonder with all, I mean, I don't know, I think there aren't any Jewish people in Hollywood, so there's no one for him to offend. But, uh, you know, somebody, <laughs> like, uh, somebody like Kevin Hart, he made a joke about, uh, about gay people. Uh, how many comedians have never once made a gay joke? Zero? I mean, is there is there one comedian on earth who's never made a gay joke? If that is now the bar, you're not allowed to laugh. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I tell you, well, and it's, it's, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who they're going to get to host the Oscars. Uh, it'll, it'll just be, it'll be interesting to see. Because, yeah, every comic has a bad joke. Every comic has a distasteful joke. Every comic, it, 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 the good ones anyway, have, have somehow, Hopefully they've pushed some kind of boundary and, and, you know, done something mildly offensive. You show me somebody who's, who's completely unoffensive, and I'm going to show you a lousy, uh, a lousy comic. Well, that's exactly right. And what's uh, pretty bizarre now is that nobody is allowed to laugh. There's, there's simply no permission to laugh. I, obviously this is because the, the left is, doesn't find so much humor in this present moment. You have Jimmy Kimmel crying on his program every night instead of giving a comedy monologue. But h- how do you recover that? I mean, uh, all the good comics that I see have a sense of humor. And I mean that very literally. They have a sense of balance. They can detach themselves from the world. They can have a little distance. They can laugh about things. It just seems like these comedians now who are whining and shrieking and crying about the president 
are, they're just too close to it. It's so emotional for, for them that they don't have the distance to laugh about it. Yeah, and, and, and really, I think it's, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, I think it's, it's <laughs> awesome, and it's one of the great uh, side effects of, of the Trump presidency is that, like, all these masks are now are, are all off. And you see, you know, the, the personal politics on on everybody's uh, every late night comedian side. You see the the personal politics of you know the mainstream media. It's just it's there's kind of a relief in knowing uh, whose side everybody is on. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's such a good point. I totally agree with that. We hear that Twitter is coarsening our culture and social media is coarsening our culture. Perhaps it is, but really, what it's just doing is exposing people. Do we really think that Jim Acosta and Don Lemon were objective, fair-minded journalists three years ago and it simply shifted because of Donald Trump? Of course not. Donald Trump, in his highly trollish way, has simply provoked them into exposing who they are. Yes, Anderson Cooper, the so-called journalist on CNN, uh, referred to Tea Party constitutional conservatives as teabaggers. In what was yeah. that, 2013 or even earlier? This, uh, you know, letting this, uh, this facade fall down, I think, really benefits all of us because it's, it's perfectly fine if you want to read Vox.com, but then maybe you should read the Daily Wire, too. It's perfectly fine if you want to read the New York Times, and you should read the Wall Street Journal, too. It's the pretense of objectivity and fair-mindedness that is so pathetic, and now I think nobody believes it. Yeah, I, there, a, a study came out. I think I think the numbers up to like like something like ninety percent of of the Americans uh, realize that, that the media is biased, and that's that's the wonderful wonderful uh, side effect. Hey, I, um, this is insanely interesting, and and I love it, and and I'm a huge fan of of everything that's going on over the Daily Wire. There's a couple of questions that I that I just have to get to, so it's it's a horrible uh, transition here. But like, are, do you have do you have plans to write another book? I'm sure you, you can't do, you can't do a follow up to reasons to, to vote Democrat. But are are you are you working on another book? Well, you're using the word another, I think, fairly liberally. But I I see I I think that my next magnum opus will be a three volume Caro esque biography of the Hillary Clinton presidency, and I think it will have very similar content to my first book. You know, maybe <laughs> a little more blank pages. No, I actually am working on a book now. It, this shows you how, how far down publishing has fallen. When they bought my blank book, uh, part of my contract was that I had to write a real book. And I tried to tell them that not writing a book in no way suggests that a person can write a book. But nevertheless, <laughs> I'm giving it the old college try now. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Well, are you, is it going to be about, uh, about the rise and fall of Clinton, or can you, can you give me any clues? Yes, I actually, so I'll be going on this uh, Young America's Foundation speaking tour uh, to all of these colleges where, you know, the leftist tears poured out. I've basically been whitewater rafting my way from coast to coast. And uh, the topic of this tour has broadly been the simple joys of being right. Uh, there are a bunch of studies that shows that right-wingers are much happier, more satisfied with life, much more content, find greater purpose, have more stable lives. And uh, so I'm, I've been examining a series of spoofs why that is, and I think this book is going to take a more detailed look at that question. That's, that's fantastic. And I, I, I love the whole hypothesis, and I believe it's correct, but I'm going to wait for your insightful, uh, wonderful book. <laughs> I, just, 
I just wrote an article for uh, my website, theloftestparty.com, about uh, statistically the right is having better sex and more of That's it. That's right. More of it. It's it's great. We're having more I sex. And, and it's, it's freakier. There is <laughs> Republican conservatives have statistically significantly more and better sex than left wingers. No surprise to me. Um, the, the other, I mean, so many other of these studies come out. University that showed that a quarter of college students uh, now, two years after the presidential election, are suffering symptoms of PTSD, clinically high levels of stress. Uh, because a Republican won the White House. Uh, it would be akin to someone who witnessed a mass shooting incident seven months after that incident. Something has clearly gone wrong in the, uh, in the balance, the psychological balance of these people. You've got you've to figure it out. I, I think I, I really do, and this is going to sound hacky as, <clears throat> as one comedian to another. This is a totally hack premise, but I think it's what it is. <laughs> it all goes back to everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets right. a, a ribbon. We we overcompensated this whole self-esteem is the most important thing. We we way overcompensated. Now we're we're reaping the the horrible rewards from that. And this is why I don't like uh, big government in control of education. It's why I don't like big government in charge. They make mistakes, and when they do, the ramifications are are, are st- like PTSD because somebody won the election. That's insane. You're exactly right. The, the, uh, the uh, participation trophy analogy is exactly right because it applies politically. Politically speaking, these millennials all came of age in the age of Obama. Maybe during the 2006 election, they were somewhat politically aware, uh, which was the other wave election for Democrats. And so they've constantly won. They've always gotten what they want politically. They've gotten it in Congress. They've gotten it in the Senate. They've gotten it at the White House. And so they think that there is a road to progress. They think there is a utopia that we're marching for. That's the definition of a progressive. And so if you stand in the way of progress with a capital T, you've either got to be an idiot or evil. You've got to have bad intentions. And so when they see this happen, they can't believe that people would impede their vision of progress. They, can't, they simply don't believe it. And I think this is, they, they didn't know it was even logically possible. And so now, you know, they, they're suffering PTSD. If only they'd gotten, you know, punched a little bit in high school or something, they might learn that life doesn't always go their way. Exactly. I, 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 dude, I couldn't. This is the, this is the big time agreement at the end of the interview agreement. <laughs> this is, you're, you're absolutely right. But the, having to deal with things that don't go your way, and like I either have to try a different method, I have to try harder, I have to learn to accept this. That's it's wonderful, dude. We could we could do this for hours and hours and hours. Um, one last question before I let you go. This is this is just a, a, a wild curveball. Uh, what's the last piece of music you've downloaded? What's what's the last thing that you're like, ooh, I gotta buy that song? What's the band? Ooh. Let's see, the last piece of music I, oh my gosh, this is, this is an extraordinarily embarrassing answer, but, you know, as, as someone who occasionally wears bow ties, what can I say? The last piece of music I downloaded is a, is a song from an album called Music from the Time of the Crusades. It's called Abjoy et Abjovan Papais. This shows, this explains to you how Middle Easterners become radicalized in Islam. The culture is so weak 
and shallow and frivolous today that I am now downloading songs from, you know, the 13th century. This cannot bode well for, for the world order or for our culture. <laughs> okay. All right. Listen, I, I have to hear this. <laughs> it, 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 it's really incredible. You're going to want to strap on the Red Cross and start marching to, you know, Deus Volt into Constantinople or something once you listen to it. It's, uh, you really got to proceed with caution. That's, I tell you what, we have to, we have to get in your, seriously, dude, we have to make a video of this. I want to, I want to get in your car. We're going to crank up some Crusades music and just cruise down <laughs> Sunset. <laughs> I, I can't wait to see uh, the reaction. I think, I think it's going to be similar to the first Crusade. It's, uh, you're going to see similar reactions from the people in La La Land. That's fantastic. Hey, Michael Knowles, check out his show. He's got a phenomenal show. Uh, over the Daily Wire, incredible podcast, very funny dude. I really appreciate you you being so patient with us, and and I'm serious. We got it. We have to make a music video uh, for the Crusades. Do <laughs> <laughs> it, man. I'm in. <laughs> Promised, we got the one and only Kurt Schlichter here with us today on the Loftus Party. Good, hey, good morning, Kurt. How you doing? I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm not digging the weather. You and I now. Here's what uh, we we met briefly at a, a CPAC like two years ago. Right. An, an insanely lame, yeah. an insanely lame year. I thought it was going to be like just conservatives going nuts. It was it was very it was very tidy. It was uh, it was very low key, but we're both Southern California guys. I didn't I didn't know that about you. I don't know why I always I always thought you were like an East Coast guy. Oh God, no! I'm a Californian. Now, were, are you born and raised out here? Um, I I was born in Ohio, and then I moved to Northern California at like age six. Okay, hold hold the right phone. near San Francisco. I'm from Ohio. I, uh, I I grew up I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Where are you from in the Buckeye State? Cincinnati, home oh! of weird chili. <laughs> that chili's the best. Cincinnati chili. Holy smoke! Okay, all right. So uh, we won't we won't regale people with stories of of chili. I want I want to get into in, into some hardcore meat. Uh, you've you've served your country. You're quite outspoken on Twitter, and uh, you're an author. We, I don't I don't even know where to start. Let's, let's I'm start a multi talent. I'm a multi talented Renaissance man. <laughs> a Renaissance man. So, so here's what I don't understand. And uh, you're a practicing lawyer as well. Yeah, that is true. I do. And, I, I, and I, I do the law thing. And you're you're a, a poet. poet, and you also I'm tour with Cirque du Soleil. Well, I'm a noted rapper. Uh, <laughs> What's your rap MC, name? Cool, MC Cool Slick and. <laughs> You know, I'm I, I continually drop rhymes and bust moves. Um, I have a lot of street credibility. Um, you know, I'm I you know I unite the east side, the west side, and the south side. You know, the hell what? with those it's, north side guys. They can that's kiss my. What what, that's what I was side. about to say. It's those north the north side people. They've really dug in. You can't even. I know. Really, and their raps are lame and unimaginative, and mostly revolve around what they had for lunch. A lot yeah. of food-based raps in the North Side. Yes, that's that. They're all about that, and uh, and I've seen you at a lot of the MC battles in downtown. Uh, yeah, Los Angeles. 
and and it's ugly, you know. You'll get in there, and and they're the Northside guys are just not good. He's like, yo, 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 I was eating hummus, and you're dumbest, <laughs> right? No, that's just that's not a great rap. No, it's not. And, and you, it, it, yeah, uh, and, and they rhyme falafel with careful. <laughs> I don't. I, I just think that's lazy. It is. It's it's lazy freestyle. Uh, and I hope someday we can bring the North Side people back into the the MC battle fold. But I think sadly we have to give up on them now because it's just just the fact that you've you've united the East Coast and the West Coast and the South Side uh, is huge. And that you know I built bridges. I'm I'm an engineer. I I you know I'm the United Nations of hip hop. <laughs> okay, it's pretty so clear. We have, we have that in MC common. Cool Slick. MC Cool Slick. That, that's that's old school, and I love it. Okay, uh, let's. I want I want to talk about uh, Indian country. I was on Twitter last night scrolling through. There was some woman saying that she she had just dove into Indian country. Uh, t- is is that your first book? Your second book? What? Oh, I don't even know what number it is. It's my second novel. The first one is People's Republic, and I'm actually writing a third called Wildfire. I'm about a third through it, and I have the cover. It is badass. Uh, <laughs> And then I've got good because like, that's how I judge. <laughs> well, yes. Don't, don't get me start on cover because I have a I have a publisher for the, the the other one, Militant Normals, which is coming out in October, and that's nonfiction. And Dude. you know, I, I I'm going to write three books this year. Okay, now th- this is one thing that, that like like fascinates me. I'm I'm a uh, I'm a stand up comedian and uh, and a writer. I was a stand up. You seem pretty stable for a standoff. You know what it is? You know what it is? I don't like to crank it up uh, in the early morning hours. I save I save uh, most of my comedy for the actual performance. I f- here's what I here's what I find insanely boring. If you've ever hung out with a comedian that doesn't have an off switch and they have to constantly try to prove how funny they are, that is tedious and boring and I cannot stand it. All the comedians I used to hang out because I, I do we do like a thing at Victorville and like four of us would go up there and we'd be in the car and my wife would be in the car and they're like the least funny people. Yes, they, they're all like, I got a lot of personal issues. My mom's sick. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a lot of money for food. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. and I was I, I was doing I was still a lawyer. I was still in the army at the time, too. And I was like relatively – I just liked being funny. I was a much better writer than performer. And yeah. everyone wanted to write with me because I can – you know, I'm funny. And, but I would, I would go out and I'd do shows with people wherever. And I, I had this group of friends who really wanted to be full-time stand-ups. And a lot of them were just sad. Yeah. A lot of them were like, I got a lot of personal problems. I, I, I don't know why. I was always happy. Maybe that's what made me not want to stay, keep doing stand-up or the fact that Uncle Sam made me come back on active duty. Right. Um, it, was always, but, it was always a real bummer when you go out uh, – you would go out on the road and you're like a, a happy-go-lucky guy and you would be hanging out with uh, like the bad luck schlep rocks of the world. Uh, just wowsy, 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 I, I think woo, that's woo. just – I think it's easier to be unhappy as a comic. Just like it's easy to, you know, if you're a girl comic, you know, hey, I got this tampon bit. Or, you know, if you're a guy, yeah. you know, what's the deal with chicks? Hey, uh, and, and a lot of people ever... would fall into what into their, uh, you know, comic stereotype. I, I remember people would push me, do lawyer jokes. And I'm like, no, I, I, I'm not a lawyer. A lawyer is just simply one of the things I do. I've got a lot of things I want to talk about. And, you know though I did have some funny lawyer bits. It wasn't because I was a lawyer. It was because they were – I always tried to be funny. I was funny before I was a lawyer. I was, you know, I was, I was writing jokes in the 80s. I was – you remember NTN? They, uh, 
you go to bars and they have those uh, trivia questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I wrote the TV ones. That's great. Remember that? Yeah, they go in like uh, you know what was uh, what was uh, McCoy's uh, nickname in Star Trek, and then they'd have like a little joke about Star Trek. Hold on, I'm walking through the house and the dog's barking because a kid didn't bring his keys. So I'm on like a show opening the door for you. All right, that's my woke eight year old. Oh, is he one of those that like, uh, you know, I, I, I asked my dad this morning if I could go to the protest with him. and <laughs> Yeah, I asked my dad, why does Trump hate uh, young Guatemalan immigrants uh, seeking a new life away from uh, economic and uh, uh, terrorist hardship? Those are my the favorite tears in tweets. his eyes. Those I are my love favorite. those. Hey, so really quickly. Mine's all bring- more like, you know, single malt. Dad, why do some people drink, you know, single malt? <laughs> how will how will these the tariffs uh, hurt the bourbon exactly. industry? Exactly. Yeah. So, hey, did you ever did you ever do stand up? How's the aluminum tariff regimen going to affect America's trade relations with Norway? My four year old was asking me that last night. It was crazy. Exactly. It's did you ever do stand up at at Go Bananas? Okay. <laughs> Let's see. I did the Giggle Works. Yeah. Uh, the Chuckle Barn. Uh, Laffy's. Chuckleys. There was a great there was a great club in Cincinnati called Go Bananas, uh, and it was fantastic. It was like in the basement. I never did anything in. The, I never did anything on the East Coast. Okay, all right. So you you came out west, and and you uh, you you've done the at age little, six. <laughs> at age six, wow. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I couldn't I couldn't take Ohio. People were open and genuine there, and I had to get away from that. Okay, so I want to I want to get back to the writing because like it's all I can do to like churn out uh, a forty four page sitcom. That that's like a lot of work. I'm I really really admire people who write books. How do you handle uh, the full time job of of be, being a lawyer? And uh, I know you do you do Fox News a bunch. You're on a lot of those shows. And now yeah. you say you're writing three books this year. Do you have, do you have like a yeah. writing partner or or an assistant? How do you how do you do it? Well, I, my wife reads every night. So, but no, I, I I look. I was in the army. I was a colonel in the army. I'm a time. I know how much time I fill up every minute. There's it's very rare that you'll see me just sitting. Even while I'm tweeting, I'm still building the brand, writing jokes while I'm sitting. Now, I actually, I think writing a, a good sitcom would be harder than writing a novel. Writing a novel is not hard. It just takes time because oh, I, 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 I write everything in my head before it even gets on paper. I do that in court, too. I've won most of my court cases, you know, walking the dog or jogging around. Uh, yeah. And when you're putting stuff on paper, that's the end of the process. Well, not the end because the end is editing. But the end of that—that's—that's that's not the beginning of the process. But a sitcom is different because you're trying. You first of all, you've got to make every line hit, and that's—that's that's really that. tough. Yeah, it's—it's it's like a set. It's it, yeah. uh, writing a sitcom is a particular kind of script. Now I've written script. I had the script option. Uh, it was about zombies. It was great. Fantastic. Uh, you know, it could have been made for like fifty thousand bucks, but I never got around to making it. Uh, in any case, um, but no, when, when you're writing a sitcom script. You're going to have to do, you know, every line has to be something. It's like my town hall stuff. I write my town hall stuff like a stand-up set. There's no fat. I don't do intros. It's your setup, punch, or tag. Yeah, and that's what you're doing with a sit-up, uh, a, uh, uh, a sitcom script. But if you read my town hall stuff, you'll see I write like a, a stand-up. Look at the look at the structure of each sentence. 
the joke, if I do it right, occasionally I'll read through and I'll go, dang, I, I, I didn't do it right. The, 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 uh, uh, the joke lands at the end of the sentence, not in the middle. Yeah, and I, did, I, didn't even, I didn't even uh, mention the town hall column. That, that's, and that thing is wildly popular. Seriously, dude, and, and I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to blow smoke, but like what time do you get started? I just don't think I have uh, no, the work. I, 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 I need, don't I need to like attend I'm, the Kurt Schlichter like School of Time Management. I don't feel like I'm busy. I only do things I like, so it makes it easier. I, I'm 53. You know, I've had I, I'm retired out of the military after 27 years. I, I I've been a lawyer for 25. I'm at the point in my life where I don't do things I don't like. So, uh, and I I feel like I've got plenty of time to do stuff. I you know I stopped and we watched a, a terrible movie on Netflix for a couple hours last night. And laughed at it and shot jokes. I don't I don't even remember what, what was it called, honey. The movie we watched last night. It was like Troy, and it had the crack in it. That's fantastic. Because that's fa- yeah, there's no Troy. Like the crack, and my son's like, "Isn't that Norwegian?" My woke eight year old. He's like, "Isn't that Norwegian mythology?" I'm like, "Not." They're rolling, and of course, <laughs> then they then they had to then they had to they had to get to where they're going. Odysseus had to go home by the paths of the dead, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, that's that's Lord of the Rings." <laughs> Wait, what are you doing? They like took all this stuff. And the highlight was they had this hot girl who was like, because there's always like a hot warrior girl now. You for need some that. Reason. That's that's necessary. right. And she's wearing like a little leather skirt, which you would think is hot, but underneath, really obviously, she's got bike shorts. That's hilarious. That's yeah. Hilarious. We're just rolling. But you know, I had like two hours that I I I you know I I, I had time. I didn't like, no. I have, I've got to be typing out more of Kelly Turnbull's adventures in you know Blue America, which I'm going to uh, do later this afternoon. Holy smoke! Now here's the here's the other thing that that I just because obviously I do my research. Uh, research is job one, but you're also don't you have a show on CRTV? No, it's uh, Rebel. I do it once. Rebel week. TV. I know it was one of those. Like I said, research is job one. How often do you do the show on Rebel? Just once a week. Just once a week. <laughs> yeah, dude. Seriously, you're like. Are, are you still like on army time? Is it like, it's like, it's like 6 a.m. Get up. Uh, I, I, seriously, I, I just finished a script. I, 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 I just finished up, a pilot that I'm I, turning in and uh, I feel like I've worked cool. so hard. Well, you have. If, if it's worth turning in, you have. No, I, I mean, I, I, I know what it takes to education. That's, you know, just make sure every line is gold. That's the tough thing. Every line's got to be gold. Well, here's, I, I, and it's too funny. One of my buddies now who's writing on Roseanne used to write on the old Roseanne show and got out of sitcoms uh, like 2004, 2005. He got out of sitcoms and he started doing dramas. And he's like, dude, dramas are so easy. Like dramas yeah. are so much easier than sitcoms. Comedy, comedy stuff because you have to, you're seeking a reaction. It's like trial lawyer. Uh, I'm seeking a reaction from 12 people in the box who couldn't talk their way out of a jury. <laughs> and. And, and it, you're, you're looking for an – so when, if you're doing stand-up, you're getting laughs. I mean Twitter is like that too because I get instant feedback. That's why I do it. It's my Sudoku. You know, Dude, some people are like, I want to do a are puzzle. hilarious. Well, I just love writing jokes. I always have since I was a little kid. We had a very funny street, and you, know, you, you got street cred if you were funny. Yeah. People appreciated that. Uh, Greg Gutfeld actually grew up in the same town I did at the same oh, time. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I probably ran into him cruising the El Camino in San Mateo. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. But, okay, go ahead, go ahead. But uh, no, I mean, it's and, – and you have to get a sense of how to write a joke. Yeah. It takes a while. I never had a systematic approach to it. I did it for years and years. 
Uh, and then I fell in with a guy named Greg Dean who does uh, did like comedy workshops. I broke up with this chick because her dog died and there was nothing left, no reason to talk to her. So I started doing I, – I, I, I'm going to try stand-up. So I go to a stand-up workshop, a guy named Greg Dean, and he actually sketched out how a joke works. And I understood instinctively. I didn't know how to do it in words. Yeah. And, and I, mean, I mean I didn't I didn't have a system for thinking. I'm like that's what I've been doing. And, you know, after that I started getting uh, you know, I, I didn't make a lot of money, but I got a lot of people wanting to write with me. Oh yeah. Yeah. I it's too funny. It's like one of the guys that I started out doing stand up with back in Columbus left a a really good law pra- I find lawyers are good uh lawyers are good stand-ups. It's 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 weird. There's like something whatever whatever drives people into like I'm going to be a trial lawyer. I guess it is a performance. They're both performances of yeah, sorts. So it it, there's like a weird genetic thread there. Now your your Twitter feed is very funny. Shamelessness. <laughs> a very a very very shameless. Look at me. Look at me and expect something wonderful. <laughs> oh yeah yeah. So, no, hey. I mean you got look I I. It, it, I was a cavalry officer, which is the most flamboyant branch in the army. We operated ahead of all the other guys. And we, we were operating in small groups. So we were very, and we had our Stetsons and cavalry guys have been a good, good, good opinion of themselves. High opinion. I was the, and, and then trial lawyer. I mean, you literally have people going, this is my life savings. This is my business. And I'm putting yeah. it in your hands and you got to, you have to believe you are the best or you will be, you know, disavowed. I, I so can't. I mean to get Ugh. yeah. So you get up in front of a you know you get up in front of an audience, and while I respect, it, it was like okay, worst case, I'm not going to get any laughs. So I'm going to be pissed at myself. That's the air trauma stand up. Fifty percent of the time, you are below average. Half the time, you are going to say crap. I could have done a lot better. You will always say I could. That's the there worst feeling. Great, I know. There's a great tweet I wrote today. I said my woke eight year old. Uh, I was with my woke eight-year-old, uh, uh, saw Stormy Daniels on the TV because we were in an airport, put down his drink and said, strippers are just tacky who won't commit. Uh, people <laughs> were just howling at how funny that was. I thought it was funny. And I looked down and I go, shouldn't have said drink. I should have said something specific. Yeah. <laughs> right? Chocolate. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it has to be, it, you got to be, be specific, preferably with a K sound. Oh, put my down God. Chocolate milk would have been funnier. You got you got the case out of the chocolate milk. Cocoa. <laughs> Cocoa. There you go. You've Cocoa. doubled up. You've doubled up on the Oh case. man, that's like triple Yaxi word score, Scrabble word score. <laughs> but you you know the feeling, right? You you tell a judge, you're like, crud, I could have really crushed it. Oh, it's or you think worst. of something to top it off with and you're like, damn it. Yes. But it's it's yes. it, 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 it's so it, 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 it's so challenging. I don't want to go, it's the hardest thing in the world. It's not the hardest thing in the world. Stopping a guy with arterial bleeding after he's been shot in the gut with a AK-47, that is much harder, and that's not something I've done. Uh, and not, as, and not as funny. Challenge, and it's nowhere near as funny. Okay, so here's what, here's what I'm trying to do uh, with my little uh, Loftus Party YouTube channel, podcast, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to win hearts and minds uh, with comedy, I'm trying to uh, disarm people and go. Oh man, I'm I'm just making I'm just having some fun with you. We're just having some laughs, and hopefully, uh, get people to to view issues uh, in a different way. I don't feel I'm wasting my time, uh, but it's it's a long. I don't think you strategy. are. Yeah, uh, look, Andrew Breitbart, who like most of the rest of North America, was a friend of mine. He was a friend of everybody's. Uh, he 
he was very clear, and I, 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 I really agree with him, that you've got to be funny first. You've got to, when you're doing art and you want to get a message, you've got to get the art part first. So if you're funny, you can start doing stuff. The thing about comedy now is there's so many areas that you're allegedly not supposed to uh, explore. And I can just feel it. It's like a giant pustule. Eventually someone's going to squeeze it, and we're just going to have this burst of rebel comedy where they're talking about the things that you're not supposed to talk about now, race, sex, yeah, uh, transgenders, whatever, you know, you know, I, I, I see a lot of people who are trying to use comedy to teach and to help people grow gentle yeah. laughter that helps us share. I, <laughs> I would literally rather blood and glass <laughs> than, have, it's too- than have a, than have a uh, gentle comedy. I put a uh, I put a set up on the on the YouTube channel uh, last week. I was out at the the Brea Improv, and oh, I came out. Wrong. Yeah, and I and I came out. I came out as a Trump supporter, and it was hilarious. It's hilarious, and it was like you could just feel the you could just feel everybody in the room just be like, "Oh, it's okay, it's okay." Yeah, but yeah, uh, look, I'll tell you what, the, the first guy who who pops the zit's gonna have uh, well pus all over him, but a lot of success. Well. It's people the, the the majority of the audience just howling with laughter, loving it, and a couple people looking at me with shock. And I I'm getting so many people that are like warning me. I came out as a Trump supporter, dude. I was I was on Varney. I was on Varney and Company on Fox Business. Nice. They just wanted to confirm that I actually voted for Trump. It's crazy. <laughs> well, look, the thing is, you know, if I were still doing comedy, and I'm not allowed to, uh, my last set was one where I got in a fight on stage with uh, Tom uh, Arnold. Oh boy! Okay, uh, he's he, he's just he's just dumb. He's making he's making news. He's making news. He's got the key to it all. Well, that was like 13 years ago. I've like not done it since. Though my when I do uh, actually I do jury closings much like a stand up set. Uh, I also do without jokes, but it has the same feel, and you you can see the structure. But I also do when I do uh, uh, public speaking things. I will have a high. I probably don't have a seven last per minute rate, but I probably have a two or three. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah okay. It's just, but it's such good training for, yeah. for doing other things. Uh, there is because it's, uh, a, it's a way to express yourself because you're in communication with the audience. Yep. And if I were doing if I were doing a Trump bit, of course, the first people I would seek out are the ones in the audience who are sitting there with their arms folded, scowling. They're the yeah. ones I want to talk to. Everybody out there, the guy agreeing with me, I don't care about. Young lady, you seem really upset that I like Trump. Are you another <laughs> of the ones that uh, Trump banged and dumped? Because I gotta tell you, you know, <laughs> there's like we're gonna we're gonna we're all gonna meet uh, at the Roadway Inn in Victorville <laughs> and console road, each oh other. Oh my God, I've done the Roadway Inn in Victorville. I was making I it up. I have done the Roadway Inn in Victorville. I was making that up. I think that's hilarious. No, <laughs> I've done the Roadway Inn in Victorville. It's a great thing because you could do you could do like, hey, man, we're here in Victorville, not like those suck asses in Barstow. <laughs> All right. Kurt, you know, do I 20 want... minutes on a meth crazed weirdos living in abandoned mines out, out on the edge of town. And they're like, I know how you feel. That's my Uncle Mort. Five, five people in the back of the room get up and leave because you've hit too close to home. I know. It's like sometimes comedy hurts. <laughs> All right. Uh, Kurt, I want to thank you for being on. Hopefully we can get you on again in the future. Uh, what's, what's the title of your next book? What's the next one you're working on? Uh, Militant Normals. It comes out in October from Hachette. 
All right. And, so uh, it, it's a real book. That's I, I, I'm a dude. I'm in awe and I, I celebrate everything. People go out and get uh, Kurt's book. Uh, start cutting lawns now, saving up for his new book. That pre-order comes out. it. Pre-order, pre-order it, that get sucker. Up. <laughs> All right, Kurt. Thank you so much. Uh, I'd love to have you back on. It's too much sure. funny. I will see you. I'll see you at the Roadway Inn. In the Roadway Inn. Who's opening for who? That's the, <laughs> that's the question. Thanks for listening to this best of episode of Loftus Party. And as always, we'd like to thank everybody who's joined us on Facebook, Twitter, and certainly a big thank you to all of our new Patreons. Also want to say congratulations to Kung Fu Rick, who's going to have to leave us shortly because he's now getting a regular slot on KOKC 1520 AM and 95.3 FM in the greater Oklahoma City area. Well, thank you very much. I wasn't expecting the shout-out. I was wondering why you were asking me about that a minute ago. But yeah, well, as uh, soon as I know for sure, we'll definitely send out a blast so everybody knows what time it's on, because it'll be on iHeart, so you guys can pretty much listen from anywhere. So, feel free. All right. Well, thank you guys again, and have a great week. Gypsy out. <laughs>